Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Well, I love what I get to do each week. And what I get to do each week, God willing, is to bring you some good news. To bring you good news. That's what the Bible's all about. That's what Jesus is all about. Gospel means good news. And my job is to bring you good news. Now, sometimes I have to give you some bad news before we get to the good news. That's how a lot of times scripture goes. But ultimately, it gets to good news, and that's my role. And today, the good news I want to bring to you is that Jesus goes to places that no one else will go in order to help provide help and hope beyond what seems that you could have help and hope. Let me say that again. Jesus goes to places no one else will go to restore what seems beyond help and hope. And that's the focus of today. As we continue in this, breaking, this series called Breaking News, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And as we go through one of Jesus' accounts, accounts of Jesus' life and ministry and teachings, we're looking at each account like a news story. What happened? Who was involved? Why is it important? And what does that mean for us today? And as we consider this breaking good news, we see over and over that when Jesus breaks into someone's life with his love and grace and truth, it rewrites their narrative. It rewrites their story. If the person's open to what he's doing. And so today we're gonna continue in this series as we consider looking at Jesus and the groundbreaking news, the breaking news of his life. And let me be upfront with you, today is an intense account. It's a very intense account. And it's a dark account. And so prepare yourself. Uh, Because Jesus once again comes into contact with someone who's in the grip of an unclean spirit. And as you look at this, I invite you to go back to a sermon back on January 15th and I spent some time talking about how do, we, how do we engage the idea of unclean or evil spirits in the 21st century. I invite you to go back to that sermon because there's lots of details around it. But today, I invite you to, as you look at this account, to consider that no matter what, this person was gripped by something, a dark power that was overwhelming his life. And so whether we see it through the lens of mental illness or we see it through the lens of something supernatural or some combination, Think about your life and the lives of others, of people who are gripped by something that they can't get out of. It's a dark account, and so I invite you to prepare yourself. Now, this is one of those accounts. It's in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, and I remember back in seminary thinking, one day I'm going to have to preach on Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. That day is today, and so get ready. Here we go, because once again, Jesus comes into contact with evil, and when Jesus' life story intersects with the life story of another person, that person's never, never remains the same. So we're gonna see good come into contact with evil. We're gonna see light come into contact with darkness. And so yes, tonight there's an epic battle that's gonna go on called the Super Bowl. That holds nothing compared to what's gonna happen right here. Right, the Chiefs and the Eagles, forget it. This is a battle. This is a cosmic battle and ultimately points to the battle for your hearts and minds here in the 21st century. So gear up, get ready. Here we go. Mark chapter five, verses one through 20. I'm gonna read this all the way through. Other weeks I've gone bit by bit. I'm going to go all the way through so you can get this full account. So I invite you to either look at the words on the screen, read your own Bible, or even potentially close your eyes and imagine being there. Again, this is an intense account. So prepare yourself. Mark 5, chapter 1, we read this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, 
not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed, amazed. Well, as we enter into this account and story, you see that they said that they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. So if, you, if you're reading in the Gospel of Mark reading plan, we're not going through every single verse in Mark. So the previous chapter, at the end, Jesus' and disciples get into the boat in the evening. As they're coming across the Sea of Galilee, a big storm comes up. And if, as you may, if you've read it, you'll recall that Jesus is asleep. is asleep on a cushion. And disciples are basically like, what gives? Wake up. And as he does, he wakes up, he says, be calm, be still. And the storm subsides. The waters are calmed. And the disciples are like, who is this man? What just happened? I mean, they're in complete fear. And so that happens. If that's not enough, then the boat comes up on the, the side, and then we get this account. This is quite a 24-hour period for these disciples. And so as they come up, they come to what Mark describes as the, the region of the Gerasenes. Right? Bible scholars haven't been able to exactly locate where this is, but most believe it's on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. So they would have come across the Sea of Galilee. And it was in an area called the Decapolis. The Decapolis, which means ten cities. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus notes that in 63 B.C., that Pompey set aside these cities to be the featured area 
for, for uh, Hellenistic pagan living, meaning there was no influence of God. It was dark. It was evil. In our country, we have Sin City, Las Vegas. This was Sin Cities, 10 of them. Right? So what happened in the Decapolis stayed in the Decapolis. Right? That's what it was there. This was a dark region, a region that was set aside. And you'll even see, because by the fact that there were all these herds of pigs, for the Jewish people, the pig, a pig was an unclean animal. So it made sense why there were that many pigs on that side of the Sea of Galilee. So they show up here in this region, this dark region, a godless region. And from a Jewish perspective, it was a region that no one should go to. Well, here they get out of the boat. And moving on to verse 2, we see all of a sudden we get a, a story of this man. We don't know the name of this man. We don't know his background story about his family. All we have is his present moment. And it's not a good one. Right? This man is, he's, he's bound up. Um, no, actually, no one could bind him. That was the problem. No one could bind him. Uh, they tried to, to put chains on him. He broke him, his feet. No one could subdue him. The word subdue is used in other contexts to talk about taming ferocious animals. And so this man, like a ferocious animal, couldn't be tamed. He couldn't be chained. And he's described as having an un clean or impure spirit which would have cut him off from his family, his friends and all of society and where was he living? He was living in the tombs, in the tombs most likely cut out of limestone on the side of a hill, it was the only place that people like this could live and, 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 and tombs like this were typically outside the city or village and so he was ostracized estranged, on his own lost well, then we get a sense of what happens here in verse 6 as we move on. We see, if we pick up the action, there's an encounter. And this encounter is of, with this man. But as you think about the region of the Gerasenes, it's not a place that anyone would want to go, especially a religious leader like Jesus. But he went there. He went there. See those words with me. He went there. Say it. He went there. You think about that phrase when you use it in conversations, if there's like an argument or a controversy, and then you say like, he went there, or she went there. It's usually not a good thing. It means they've gone someplace which is sensitive, untouchable, controversial, especially in our politically charged environment, right? If someone is in an argument, it's like, oh, he just went there, or she just went there. Here we see Jesus went someplace that was untouchable, controversial, sensitive, he went there. He went to a place no one would have wanted to go. But he went there, and then he had an encounter with this man. And we see what happens starting in verse 6. And we see here where there's the intersection of the life story of Jesus and another person. Someone who's gripped by evil, gripped by this impure spirit. And what happens? This man comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. And the word is there is described as like being prostrate, maybe even all the way to the ground. And he says, what do you have with me? What do you, what do you want to do with me? And when he says, what do you want with me? It speaks to the difference between them. We saw that back in Mark chapter 1. What do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. And it's, for me, it's this picture of a man. He's, he's, he's struggling. I think on the one hand, he's on the ground because this impure evil spirit in the presence of the son of God, the holy one, has no choice but to, to respond in reverence and worship and even fear because he knows who's in charge. At the same time, I believe there's a man who's lost, who's in this grip, who needs help. He's desperate. And he comes and falls at Jesus' feet and is a way of almost saying, I'm here, I'm here. I need help. Please have mercy on me. 
I'm stuck. I'm trapped. I can't get out. I'm in the grips. And then this unclean spirit says, don't torture me. Don't torture me. It's almost a call for mercy in the midst of this. Because Jesus has said, come out. Come out, you impure spirit. Notice how Jesus addressed the impure spirit. He addressed the real need of this man. The real need. He didn't address the, the man himself. Showing that Jesus is there to address the evil, what was gripping him, the problem. The man wasn't the problem, it was the evil that was gripping him. And the normal practice of that time would have been for someone like Jesus, if they're engaging an evil spirit, to have some type of incantation or a long formula to, to say. But not with Jesus. He simply speaks, and there's action. It shows his authority. As we continue the action in verse 9, we see that Jesus then asks his name. And it's fascinating the name that comes back. The name is Legion. He says, because we are many. Legion, which is, describes a, a, a troop unit of Roman soldiers. Numbered something like 5,600 or typically 6,000 Roman soldiers. And a legion of Roman soldiers would have a grip on an area of the Roman Empire. And this wasn't a friendly grip. It was a grip that was led by violence, by fear, and dictatorship. And people who were under this grip were oppressed without any help or hope. If you went against the Romans, you were dead. This man wasn't gripped by Roman soldiers. This man was gripped by some type of dark, evil force. An impure spirit that gripped his life. And he needed help. He needed help. So as we continue on, as he calls, he, we see that in verse 11, um, that there's a herd of pigs. Again, from a Jewish perspective, pigs are an unclean animal. And here, these, this, this legion of spirits says, send us into the pigs. And to help us, we don't want to leave this area. And it's fascinating, they said they don't want to leave the area because I believe that this was their domain. Because the Decapolis, again, we have, we have Sin City, they had Sin Cities. This was a dark, godless area. They said, don't, don't send us out of the area. We want to stay here. But the, Jesus then gives them, interestingly, permission to go into the pigs. And they end up going down the steep hill and being drowned in the water. Dead in the water. 2,000 pigs. What a scene. You can't make this stuff up. What in the world? 2,000 pigs dead in the water. Well then, what happens next is we pick up the action in verse 14. Those who are in charge of the pigs take off running. They go into town. They have to tell someone, probably because their role is to watch the pigs. Now the pigs are dead. So they need to be able to tell someone because they're going to be held accountable for the dead pigs. That's a lot of money. It's a big economic hit. And so almost like a kid going to tell on their brother or sister, they like run and tell mommy and daddy, that guy killed the pigs. And they told what happened. Everyone's like, what? And they come out and take a look. And when they come, as we read in Mark records, they come to Jesus, but they see this man sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. This man had been restored, fully restored. And they saw him, and they saw the pigs. And their response was, praise Jesus. Let's have a worship service. This is great, right? Not at all. They were gripped with fear. Like, what just happened? There's 2,000 dead pigs in the lake, and this man who's known for screaming and crying and yelling and cutting himself, is, he's sitting there, and he's in his right mind. He's restored. There's lots of grace for these people. If I was there, I would have been scared as well. Like, something obviously just happened. Just, just go away, Jesus. Go away. 
And, and that's what they said. They said, just leave our region. Go away. Just get out of here. It's fascinating that Jesus, as we pick up the action in verse 18, listens to them. He agrees, and he starts going into the boat. And he, as he heads into the boat, the man begs him, begs to go with him. That's intentional language. If you go back to Mark chapter 3, you see that Jesus called his 12 disciples to be with him. This is discipleship language. Right? To be a disciple or follower or learner of Jesus means that you are with him to become like him. So here this man is saying, I want to be your disciple. I want to be with him. I want to go with you. Interestingly, Jesus says, no, no. Instead, go home to your own people and tell them what the Lord has done. So that's what this man does. He goes back to his own people, and he tells them what the Lord had done. But it, interesting how Mark records, it says, not that what the Lord had done. The man said what Jesus had done, which shows that this man had equated Jesus with the Lord, meaning God himself, that God had shown up and God had rescued him. And then we see that the people, all the people are amazed. They're amazed when they get the news from this man. They send Jesus away, but when they hear it from this man, they see this man, a changed life, a restored life, a life that can't be explained apart from a gracious act of God. They're amazed. They're amazed. Again, we see the breaking good news of God. When God's, the gospel of God, when Jesus breaks into someone's life, he can reset the trajectory of their life. Here's a man who was, was gripped by by an unclean, impure spirit. In fact, a whole legion of them. But Jesus set him free. Last week, you heard from David Bryan talk about how the stronger one came to, to bind God's enemy and to then plunder and set us free as, as a treasure. That's what we heard last week. Here's a picture of Jesus doing that. He set this man free, restored his life. And it's all because he went there. He went there. Say that with me. He went there. He went there. there was, he had no business being in this region of the Gerasenes. No business at all. And again, shows that Jesus, Jesus goes to places no one else will go to restore what seems beyond help or hope. Again, to underscore just the extent of what Jesus did, Bible scholar James Edwards in his commentary notes this. He says, Jesus meets a man with an unclean spirit, living among unclean tombs, surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, all in unclean Gentile or non-Jewish territory. Jesus had no business being in this region. No business at all. It made no sense. A, 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 a respectable religious leader would not show up in the Decapolis, definitely not show up with a man who had been in the tombs. Because from a Jewish perspective, anyone who's in the tombs is considered unclean, because if you're near a dead body or touch a dead body, you're unclean. And if you don't go through the cleansing rituals after that, you're cut off from God's people. You're cut off from God's people. So Jesus had no business being there. It's incredible that he went there. And we saw when he went there, his power and presence brought light into darkness, brought freedom for the captives. Right, this man was set free. And these this legion of unclean spirits and impure spirits was destroyed. They thought they were going to be redeployed into the region. No, mysteriously, Jesus sent them into the pigs, and the pigs died. Jesus cleaned the whole area, and this man was restored. And then this man then went and told everyone what happened. 
Um, he became the first missionary to the non-Jewish world. It's so incredible that even years later, as Paul was, you know, was heading up to Damascus, as Saul was heading up to Damascus, and he was going to kill Christians in that area, it could have been those who came to know Christ because of this man. It's a fascinating account in terms of how God works. The fierce description of this man was turned upside down. There he was, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. He was restored. That's what God does. That's what God's kingdom does. Wherever Jesus goes, the place is never the same. Whoever Jesus goes to never remains the same. When he goes there, lives are changed. So what does this mean for us today? As we look at this account, we consider our lives, we can have, we can have faith and trust that Jesus wants to go there in your life, wherever there is. Whatever's in your life that is, you feel like is beyond your control, whatever is in your life that you may feel gripped, maybe it's by evil, maybe it's by sin, maybe it's by an addiction, maybe it's by something else that you can't fix on your own. You've tried. You've tried everything. Maybe even here where we live, with all the financial resources, all the time, all, everything that we have, you still haven't been able to figure it out. The good news from this passage is that there's no place that Jesus will not go in order to restore what seems beyond your help or hope. So my prayer for you is that whatever that is, that you'd be open to God's leading and work in your life, that you would allow him to go there in your life. And maybe you've tried. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you've given God a chance, and you're like, I don't know if I can do it again, Jeff. My prayer for you is that God will give you the, the courage to try again. Say, God, go there. Go there. I need your help. I can't change myself. Wherever you need to be changed, wherever you need to be restored, wherever you need help, to call out to him and trust that Jesus will go there as we let him. So I want to take us a moment to give us a moment of, uh, for prayer around that. Um, and this is a holy moment. This is between you and God. And I'm going to lead us in this prayer time. Um, the one thing, again, I want you to remember from this sermon is, is what I've been saying all along is that there's, Jesus, will, Jesus goes to places no one else will go to restore what seems beyond help and hope. And what's the thing to do? Yes, the one thing to do is to invite Jesus to go there, to go there. And to whatever area in your life that you think maybe is beyond help and hope and to seek his life-transforming and restoring work in that area. Um, so let me pray for us. I am um, just like that man. I'm not saying you have to. I'm going to get on my knees for you. Because I don't know what you're going through. And that includes you online. I see you. Only God knows. And you know. Maybe even your spouse, maybe even your best friend may not know what you're facing today. And you may not know what that next step is. But God does. Um, so let's call out to him right now. And let him go there. Let's pray. Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, as we've considered this dark account of this man who was gripped and needed freedom, Jesus, you went there. You went to this region. You had no business being there, but you went there. And you met this man, and you changed his life. Everything in this man's life seemed beyond help, beyond hope, but not for you, Jesus. Nothing is beyond help or hope. 
And in this broken world, Lord, where we can lose faith or maybe just we want to give up, I pray right now today for every person who's heard this message, whether here in person, online, whether right now or sometime in the future, God, that you would go there in their life, that you would give them the courage to say, God, go there. Whatever it is, Lord, whatever is uncertain, whatever is out of control, whatever, if someone feels gripped by something that they can't escape, God, go there. And bring the help and hope that only you can truly bring. God, give us the courage to talk to you about that. And also, when appropriate, Lord, to talk to someone else. Help us not to keep this inside of us, Lord, but to share with a trusted person so that, God, we can receive the help and hope that you want to give to us. Lord, restore us like you restored this man. And may your breaking good news come into our lives today and in the days ahead. We humbly ask this in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God. We praise in his name. Amen. Amen.